Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Hi, this is Lauren Daigle. Before we start this episode of Daigle Bites, just a reminder that season two of my podcast will be available exclusively on Amazon Music. Follow Daigle Bites on Amazon Music to get every episode. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Daigle Bites podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Daigle. I'm a singer that hails from the deep swamps of Louisiana. I ventured my way up to Nashville to take the risk of jumping in on the pipe dream of singing on stages other than the ones I grew up seeing. Along this journey, I wrote a song called You Say, and what came next absolutely changed my life. I found myself in tour buses, singing on stages all over the world. And every single night, I would get asked the question, what would Lauren Daigle be doing if she hadn't pursued music? Well, this season of Daigle Bites is answering just that, and I'm bringing you along with me on this adventure. I'm inviting new friends that I've just met and old friends that I've known for a long time to come and explore what it is like to pursue their passions. I know that they've inspired me, and I'm sure that they will probably do the exact same thing for you. So my absolute hope is that as you're sitting and you're listening, you then too can be inspired. You then too can ask the question, what is it that I would love to do with my life? And maybe along the way, you'll find steps to making that happen. So pull up a seat, join us in the conversation. You have a place here. This is the Dago Bites podcast on Amazon Music. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dago Bites podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Daigle, and I'm thrilled about our next guest today because she is a Louisiana girl. I love that because we have so many relatable points in the course of this next episode. Now, here's the deal. I grew up in Louisiana seeing multiple TV shows about Louisiana. When I was 16, Swamp People came out. And the thing about Swamp People, they had subtitles. And I remember thinking to myself, why in the world are there subtitles on this TV show? This is English. Hello, America. This is English. Because this is what I grew up hearing my entire life. I didn't realize we couldn't really be understood by the natural English listening ear. So I quickly realized, wow, I live in a subculture that my whole life I wasn't aware of. Well, fast forward a couple years, and you might have heard of a show by the name of Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty came out, and I literally felt like I was watching my family on TV. I was like, oh my gosh, I understand this. I know these people. This is a world that I am all so familiar with. And as we watched, we saw the beauty of this family actually placing God on the TV shows, which I thought was amazing. They were able to sit down every night at the end of the episode and pray together. And you'll hear us talk about that in this next episode with my friend Corey Robertson. Now, I met Corey prior to this via her daughter, Sadie Robertson, and I've always wanted to have a TV show. It's something I've been curious about for years and years and years. What would it be like to have a TV show, whether it was a reality TV show or whether it was scripted? I've always been curious of what it's like to be behind a camera. So Corey is my next guest. She has a litany of accomplishments, including being a New York Times bestselling author and the star of A&E's Duck Dynasty. She worked in the family business, Duck Commander, and she's also a co-owner of Tread Lively Productions. 
She is super passionate about motherhood, adoption, empowering families around the world, as she has six children and four grandbabies, and they all live in West Monroe, Louisiana. A little bit of my stomping grounds as well. Would you please help me welcome my next guest, Corey Robertson. Everybody, welcome Corey Robertson. We are so, so grateful to have you on the Dago Bites podcast. Um, Corey, I am so grateful that you've taken time to just come and be a part of our show. It's it's exhilarating to see other people that are doing profound things, especially for the kingdom of God. Um, tell me kind of the backstory of how you got to where you are today. You can start as young as like four years old with your first dream, or you can like, you can start wherever in the story that you, you know, oh, this is what I was created for. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, first, thanks so much for having me. I love that. Um, I'm so honored that you would ask me to be a part of oh, this yeah. and I love the concepts and of what you're doing here. So um, thank you. So about a little backstory, goodness. Okay, well, I um, got married at 18. Willie and I were 18 and 19 when wow. we were married. So we were just like babies, had no idea. We're going to live on love, of course, <laughs> you know. I love and, that. Um, and, and we pretty much did. That's about all we had was love at that time. But we, we had a lot of fights along with that love, too, because we were, we were young and, and learning along the way. But yeah, so Willie and I, I guess, both have always been dreamers. I can, like, come up with 100 ideas of what you, you could do like right now. Like, I love that. And so I think it was whenever we were turned about 30 that we kind of, like, went back and decided to work for the family business, which was Duck Commander. And really just kind of like we had some vision and some new ideas for it. It was kind of like had been a family business for a long time. And and we really, honestly, Willie didn't even want to have anything to do with it at first because he was just kind of like, you know, that's where he grew up. He wanted to go do something different, chart his own course. And and then we kind of had some ideas. We were like, you know, I think we could really, really do something here. And so we started running the website out of our home. Like in our bedroom was our computer. <laughs> yes. We're running the website. We made this little club called Duckaholics Anonymous that were like for like some extreme duck hunters. And we like <laughs> made newsletters and like, we just kind of like just started dreaming and like, yeah. what other ways could we have fun with this like duck call business? Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about hunting, but I was like, I didn't necessarily grow up in a hunting family, but I was like, okay, I'm going to learn everything about it. And so, um, so anyway, we kind of started doing that. And then I, I remember I loved reality TV and I was watching reality TV shows and I was like, you know, I think our family is just weird enough that like we could do this. And, and I was like, you know, it would really be, I wish I could say I had this like really lofty, like spiritual goal because I really, God used it in such amazing ways. But honestly, I was like, we could sell a lot more duck calls if we had a TV (laughs) show. Like this is basically like a, you know, 30 minute commercial for our brand. We would do like our family, your family. I was like, Willie, your family's weird and quirky. And you've got uncle Cy, who's like, you know, (laughs) totally crazy. And all this. And I thought, you know, we could just do this show that just tells the story of the family business and that people are interested in family businesses right now. And so we just started doing it. We had been kind of filming. We um, They had been making all these DVDs for years of the guys hunting. And then we were like, rather than just have the guys hunting, let's show like it's in the in the office and what do we do and making the duck calls and shipping them and all the problems that we might have. And so um, we did that for just like a little teeny tiny network um, called Outdoor Channel that like only like 
extreme. You know, I know Outer Channel. Channel. Okay. Girl, I'm from Louisiana. Yeah. We had, okay, we that's had right. Duck Commander Duck Calls. My parents had them before we were born. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. So, you know, oh, yeah. you know. Well, Outdoor Channel is like for people who like really love to hunt, just will like watch mm-hmm. a deer in the woods for like hours. Yes. You know, that's the kind of network that is. And so, and it's great. It was a great network. But anyway, so we put it on Outdoor Channel. But we were we did it differently, you know. Mm-hmm. It was like not just watching a deer in the woods for thirty minutes. It was family business, and um, and actually, I had before that I forgot about this. I had emailed several. I'd watched like TLC and like looked on the back and and like at the end and saw who the production companies were, and I emailed them about our family. I was like, we have this idea or whatever. No response whatsoever. How did you get connected with the Outdoor Channel? Outdoor Channel. So um, there was a gun company, a company that was one of our sponsors that kind of came to us with the idea at the same time. We were like, hey, why don't we partner? And they had the money and the connections with Outdoor Channel. And we were like, had the willingness to do it. And so, yeah, we partnered with them and they picked up another production company that helped to make it happen. Wow. Yeah. So that was, oh gosh, 2007, maybe six or seven, I guess. And we did that for several seasons and someone noticed it, a production company noticed it that makes, you know, TV all around the world and emailed us just to information at documentary.com. It's like, Hey, I think you have what it takes to make it, to do a big show. And we were like, yeah, we do too. What do we do? You know? And it really just went from there. We, we actually had all the footage for like kind of a sizzle to sell the show because we had already been filming. We had done like, I don't know, three or four seasons by that time. And, you know, it was getting some kind of attention on the outdoor channel world. We won a golden moose award, which is like (laughs) the award for the outdoor channel, you know? And, um, and so it was getting attention there. And, um, so we already had all this footage. So we just kind of put it together in a little two minute thing and, pitched it around to all the networks. And it was neat because we got offers from like everywhere, like Animal Planet and all the big networks. And what's funny is I was watched, I liked, um, you know, that show Gene Simmons Family Jewels that was like mm-hmm. about Gene Simmons family and it was on A&E. Yes. And so A&E was one of the, um, the networks that offered us a deal. And I was like, hey, if they can make Gene Simmons family look good and like, I love that show. I think they've done a great job with that show. Then like, that's a place for us. So yeah, that was part of our decision-making. A&E was like a network that was like 50-50, like had male, female audience. And we knew our show because we had already been doing it. We knew our show appealed to both, you know, men and women equally and kids and old people and all that. And so we decided to go with A&E and the rest is kind of History, History. I, guess. I mean, yeah. that show defined so much. I'll never forget the first time I saw it. This is before we had known each other. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I think I was still living in Louisiana at the time, like before yeah. I went to um, Nashville. So before my music career started and my jaw hit the floor when I saw a family praying on TV together Aww. on like mainstream television, my, yeah, my brain yeah. exploded. I was like, Mm -hmm. Wow. And I really feel like, you know, sometimes when you're at that spearhead, it Mm -hmm. can be the most joyful because you're like, wow, Mm -hmm. we're, things are changing around us. Like this is so impactful, but also the tip of the spear, you get the brunt of it all, you know? So Mm -hmm. how did y'all stay united? Were there moments of difficulty in the process, kind of Mm -hmm. taking your family from like Louisiana hometown to- 
probably global, you know? And what did that transition feel like? How did, how did you navigate those waters? Yeah. So I want to say, first of all, like I said, I didn't, you know, I think initially we were like, hey, let's sell more duck calls. But then whenever, <laughs> whenever we decided to do this on a global scale, that's when it was like, oh, or national scale, it mm-hmm. was like, okay, you know, God, like we need, we need you, we yeah. need you, you know, we need your intervention, we need your help, we need your, and so we really did. We came together as a family and we um, circled up and we just said, like, we we have to go into this with a lot of prayer. And we mm-hmm. prayed together and we even came up with a little family like motto that we said, like, okay, if anyone is like getting off or getting the bedhead or like, you know, are just kind of losing it, forgetting what is most important and why we're doing this, um, like, what, what's going to be our phrase? And Sa says, remember the Alamo, and we were like. Okay, whatever. So remember the Alamo was kind of like our little family phrase of like, if if someone said that, that meant like, okay, you've forgotten what's really important. And so it was, and we even prayed, we said, God, like, if this is not good for you, for the kingdom, for us as a family and our relationship with you, then take it away. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want it if it's not going to be for your glory. And so we really talked just so much early on just about like, yeah. what what this was and who this was for and why we were doing it. And it was not about us. And it's about whatever spotlight comes to us was pointing to, to God. And we didn't even, you know, the prayer at the end just happened because it's, it's just what we do. Like, it wasn't like this big, like marketing plan, mm-hmm. like, oh, we're going to have a prayer at the end on national TV. It was, we thought we'd end with a family dinner because that is a big part of our family and who mm-hmm. we are and what we do. And you know, Louisiana, oh, yeah. we love to eat. Oh, we yeah. love to <laughs> sit around the table. And that's a big part of our family's life. And so the plan was to have a family meal at the end of each episode. And it would be kind of like a little coming together, reminiscing about what we learned throughout that episode. And we did, we sat down and we said a prayer because that's what we do. And they filmed it. And that just became, God really used that in way more powerful ways than we could have ever imagined. We had story after story of families who would come up to us like in tears, like our family never prayed together before seeing your show. And now our kids won't let us eat without praying together. It was amazing what God did with that. That just little bit. Mm -hmm. I just always thinking it's just that little bit. It's amazing because everything that you've said is how it explains how tight your family was. So to be able to look at someone and say, hey, remember the Alamo? in your family, like the beauty of being able to call someone out and Mm -hmm. have this mutually exclusive respect for each other is really beautiful. It shows what you built prior to the show existing Mm -hmm. in your family, which is amazing to me. Like that is what I hope for my kids, you know, and my spouse. And I have that goal of like, okay, how do we keep our family depths really locked Mm -hmm. and loaded? Like my my family is really similar. We're super, super close. I mean, uh, I called my mom last night and said, hey, I just got some really good news, but I'm going to go and sit with you and dad and talk about it because I need to sit and process how Mm -hmm. am I supposed to utilize this? What am I supposed to do? Because it's not just the bad moments that you experience. It's it's also the good too. Like Also the good, yeah. Yeah. The responsibility of of good, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. I'm, yes. I feel that weight. Like I, mm-hmm. I can feel that. And mm-hmm. my family, they're not in the spotlight. And I love that you have kind of that fortress together, even though y'all are all in the spotlight together. That's beautiful. And it just shows the integrity yeah. of your family prior to any sort of celebrityism or any 
public eye being involved is really special. Okay, so you had the show Mm -hmm. and the show has now launched an incredible platform. I mean, you've got books and podcasts and you're doing the Facebook show where people come over to your house now Mm -hmm. and devotionals. How did it leave from, you know, Duck Dynasty and being on the show to this whole other world? Being Sadie's manager, like that is... That's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, and it's been amazing what God has done with, with all of it. I mean, that's what we say too. You know, it's like just to, to see what God did with that little, you know, like, hey, let's make a show and where that has brought us been amazing. And I think a lot of it is just saying yes to things, mm-hmm. but also being, we talked a little bit about, I don't know if this was on the show about being an Enneagram seven. And so yeah. everything can look really shiny and good. Yes. You know? It's like, how oh, do you yeah, make decisions? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I think a part of it is that honing down and be like, God, what, like, what is, what are you really calling me to in this moment? And what, and, and it's in this moment. Sometimes it's like, for mm-hmm. now, I need to really focus and this is what I'm doing. And then three years from now, it might look different and that's okay. But I used to um, talk to God a lot. And now I try to listen to God more, you know, in the past couple of years, I'm like, all right, God, I need to listen to what you're saying to me and what you really have for me and not just, you know, go with my plans and like jump into this or that. So for me, it's kind of a lot of time a honing in of, and really trying to kind of like listen to that voice of God to say like, Hey, what do you need to do? And what do you need to focus on? And everything, everything you do in life takes work. It takes a lot of work. There's nothing that's going to come easy. You know, I tell our kids. The person that succeeds a lot of times is the person that just kept going, that just mm-hmm. kept kept with it when everyone else quits. And so, you know, most of the things that you're going to try to do in life, you really need to be passionate about it. You need to believe in it. You yes. need to know that there's a purpose in it because it is going to take a lot of work. Yeah. I was with Sadie at the Bob Goff, the Dream Big yes. like uh-huh. camp or whatever that he does, retreat. Uh-huh. And we shared the same table. So for all the audience listening in, uh, we have this friend, his name is Bob Goff. He has this organization called Love Does, and they host these dream big retreats where you can kind of learn how to put your dreams into action, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they break up the groups into different tables and you're with that table for the entire two or three days. And it's very selective how they do it. They have a process. And Sadie and I sat next to each other at the table and no shorter lie, she literally breathed so much life back into me by simply being who she was. And it was because Mm -hmm. she listed off this dream and she was like, I know, I just, I can feel God telling me this. And it, it wasn't even necessarily, it was the dream, but it was also the intensity and the passion and the conviction and the zeal, like, and mm-hmm. I feel like we had crossed paths right at the right time because I was starting to, that was starting to dwindle, that zeal, mm-hmm. that excitement. I was getting burnt out, honestly. And right at the perfect intersection was Sadie. And God used Aww. her so intensely to just remind me of what it is to have like major dreams. There's times where, I don't know if, if you felt this, but when you're like, man, I, I have this dream. I, I can feel it. I, I feel so alive in it. But after a certain amount of time, when you feel the mm-hmm. resistance and you're like, whoa, the resistance yeah. feels a little bit stronger than forward motion mm-hmm. right now. And you kind of get stuck in that, 
mm-hmm. weight, I guess. Sometimes you just, you start to regress and you say, okay, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm dreaming too much or maybe this is too big or whatever. Sadie was like, this is my dream and I'm going to make it happen. And I think it was a surrounding the live original curriculum. Like it was some, I think it was in that phase where she's like, I'm going to make a curriculum and I'm going to give it to girls all over the world. And I remember Mm -hmm. hearing that and saying, Lauren, that's how you used to be. Don't let this harden you. Like it really struck such a yeah. deep chord within me. Have mm-hmm. you ever felt those moments? Have you ever yeah. felt the resistance where you're like, I've got to really work hard to keep dreaming? Absolutely. Yeah. There's times when you do. I mean, I re- there's, I remember a time after, well, probably in the height of the guys, you know, probably people were looking and thinking like, oh, this is all great. When I looked around, I had, you know, someone that I really believed in and that was part of that, you know, really did us wrong in a in a mm. big way. And then I had someone that I hired and moved here that just wasn't what we thought she was going to be. And like, I just started questioning my judgment. Am I like, do I, am, am I good at this? Like, do I know yeah. what I'm doing? You know, there are times when you definitely look around and you're like, okay, is this really, can I really do this? You know, mm-hmm. and there's a, one step put in front of the other until you come cut to the other side of that. And you're like, okay, that was a season. There was, yeah, people are going to mess up. There's people are going to do you wrong. You're going to make bad decisions, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that all is lost. And yeah. that's so neat that you say that because um, I think I know what, what Sadie was talking about in that moment. And the thing that she was so passionate about then she did do, she did it like twice and then she moved on to something else, mm-hmm. but it's doing exactly what she wanted to do, but in a different way than she thought it was going to yeah. be. Yeah. She had this vision for this kind of box that she was going to send to and help girls do Bible studies all over. Yes, that was yeah, it, that was all it. over the, the world. And and she did it and like the way she thought it was going to come out didn't come out exactly right. The logistics just weren't quite right and all this, but the dream and the heart behind it was right. And so that has shifted. And now she has an app called Hello Sister where she's equipping young girls girls to, and, and women, I guess I, I shouldn't say young girls, there's all ages on the, on the app that are, um, it's a sisterhood where they're encouraging one another through Bible study and studying together and doing workshops. And so it's like, it's the seed of what that dream was then, but she had to go through a process of trying it one way mm-hmm. and then realize, okay, that's not the way, but that didn't make her give up and quit. She just had to come out in a different way. So wow. I think that's important when you have a dream. Mm-hmm. Don't don't think that just the first way you try it, if if it doesn't work, that means it's a failure. Yeah. I love there's a quote that I love. I actually have it on a chalkboard in our in our house. And it says, if you try and you fail, you're not a failure, you're a risk taker. Yes. And I love that so much yeah. because I just think it's so important that we we are as as children of God, like we have the spirit of God inside mm-hmm. of us. So we should be like the biggest risk takers. Risk-takers. We have yeah. like we have this power in us that like we can do anything. And so, you know, I hope I want our kids to be risk takers. I hope that, you know, we've modeled that in our family. And because I really do believe that, you know, us as believers, we have the spirit in us. So there's nothing we can't do. Yeah. I literally, I used to tell people all the time, it's a risk to the world, but it's faith to the kingdom. Yeah. Like that yeah, that's good. thing of like, okay, it feels like a risk when, you, when you're looking at it. You're like, oh man, I could lose friends or I could lose money or I could have to face rejection or I could, you know, you could list yeah. so many things. But in the kingdom, it's like, 
this igniting of faith that you're like, wow, I, I can actually only rely on God to do the next step. Yes. Like I really can. He showed me this picture the other day. It was like I was standing there and there was this little tiny element of light, like right by my feet. And that mm -hmm. was it. Like everywhere mm -hmm. around me was completely black, mm -hmm. but there was this little remnant of light. And I just heard, not audible, but just like in my spirit, heard the word shadow light. So I went to look up what is defined shadow light. Mm -hmm. And it meant the projection of light in a dark space versus the darkness overtaking the light. It's so beautiful to see that sometimes it's just enough light that he gives for mm -hmm. the next step. It, I mm -hmm. didn't have a full encompassed view right. of the path. Like yeah. just that the faith for the next step is so profound and so poignant. And it's fun. It's so fun. Okay. So this is a hard left, but you have an onslaught of children, right? And <laughs> yes. How, how did you come about adoption? What was that like? I definitely, I say all the time, like I might have kids of my own, but I for sure want to have kids Aww. that are adopted, you know? I, I love, love that. that so much. Yeah. yeah. So I was actually a senior in high school when my, um, I went to a Christian school and our, my Bible teacher adopted that year. And he just like, I felt like, I don't know if everyone else felt like that, but I felt like that's all he talked about mm -hmm. was like adoption and taking care of what is an orphans and what religion that is pure and faultless looks like. And yeah. I just knew that I wanted to do it. And our family was always like, my, my parents still have some have people living with them right mm -hmm. now. Like we always had people living with us. They did not, We I don't have adopted siblings, but there was like never a time that somebody outside the family wasn't living in yeah. our home. And it would be like <laughs> single moms with, babies. And so I was like another little mom to these babies that lived with us for, for six months because they needed a place because mm -hmm. they were getting out of an abusive situation or, or just, we just always had a very open home. Yeah. And so family, we have a big family, but family always seemed yes. even bigger than just what. And um, we grew up in a very similar environment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I always just knew that I wanted to. And whenever Willie and I started dating, which was young, we got married mm -hmm. 18 and 19, but that was my <laughs> senior year. And he was like, yeah, that's, I want to do it too. He was never, never a question. So we just knew that adoption would be part of our family story. And yeah, so I had John, Luke and Sadie, and then we adopted Will. And I was like, wow, this is the way to do it. Like no stretch marks, no morning sickness. <laughs> like, it was amazing. Yeah. You know? It was awesome. And it was like, we had this, Will was just greatest little Christmas gift yeah. that we could ever imagine. And um, then we had Bella and then we, um, Ended up, Rebecca came into our family at when she was 16 as an wow. exchange student and really was, had just planned to be here for a year. And now she's 32 and has never left. Oh and we just fell gosh. in love with her and we're like, stay and be ours. And so, and she gave us our first grandchild, Zane. And now we have four <laughs> grandbabies. <laughs> and then we adopted Rowdy when he was 12 and um, that rounded out our family. So now we have six kiddos and four grandbabies and... Life is good. I love Very that. Thankful. I have a moment like that too in high school. Same thing. It was um, the first time I ever heard about human trafficking. And I remember mm. sitting in the classroom and it was my speech and debate class. My friend comes to the front of the classroom and gives this entire speech about something. And I start sweating bullets thinking, have I missed a, an assignment? Are we about to all have to give speeches on like a topic today? Like, <laughs> I didn't know we had a, an assignment. 
And then afterwards, the teacher comes up and said, I wanted her to be able to share something. She came to me and said she was really passionate about learning uh, mm-hmm. of human trafficking for the first time. And she was so moved that weekend at church that she came the next school week wow. and told our class about it. And I felt like my world stood still and tears just fell Mm -hmm. down my face. And I remember just crying, learning this information and like looking around the classroom, like everyone else is feeling it this way too. You know, Mm -hmm. well, fast forward now, I've been able to partner with so many different organizations that work in those spaces, but I feel like that with adoption. Like I feel that kind of, you know, if I have kids of my own, awesome, that's going to be amazing. But I feel the call to adoption. Do you ever feel like sometimes you have the zeal, the joy, the excitement, the exuberance, and God almost puts that in you so that you take the step? Because if he showed you what it was actually going to entail, you'd never do it. Absolutely. (laughs) I think hope is a really important thing in anybody's life. I think just holding out to that, like God promised that he is for us. He wants good for us and just the hope that like he will come through and whatever that looks like, you know, and so try to just hold on to that. And I think if it's, you know, if it's up to me, then it's going to, it's going to fail. Like it's not going to work. I'm going to get exhausted and I'm going to, but I know that I have like someone greater and something greater that's like holding me up and carrying me. And I've seen God fulfill his promises time and time again, and not in my timing and not in in the way that I thought it was going to be, but I've lived long enough that I've seen it. So I know that it's going to happen and I know his word is good and true. And so um, I think just that real belief that like, when God says like, do not fear for I'm with you, Mm -hmm. like, I really don't need to fear because he really is with me. Like I just really taking him at his word. I think is is what carries me through those hard times. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you don't get discouraged. It doesn't mean that you don't feel like, what did I just say yes to? Yeah. Or what do you have for me? Or like, or, or even ask God the question. Like I ask him all the time, like, God, what did you have in mind for this? Because yeah. this does not look like the way I thought it was going to go. Or like, what are you teaching me in this? And I try to just walk with that kind of like eyes and heart and mm-hmm. hands open and say like, God, what do you have for me in this day? What are you trying to teach me in this moment? You know, saying yes to those gentle little nudges that he nudges us along the way. And um, he never fails in the end. Doesn't mean there's not hard times in in the middle or in the beginning, but in the end, he always comes through. So just sticking with that is what carries me. Wow. Well, I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so, so so grateful. Just grateful to get to to chat with you. I feel inspired. Literally, as you were talking, I was sitting here thinking, okay, like there were two moments where tears filled my eyes. And I was like, Lord, I'm going to go sit and write after. I just, it's so encouraging to look on the side and see other people that, well, I would say you're further along than I am, but to look next to you and say, oh my gosh, these are people Mm -hmm. that are doing it. They're doing it with faith as the focus. And they're also still dreaming and still planning and still running. It's just, it's exciting to know that people are still doing it with joy too. It means so much. Thanks so So much. much. I have, I have loved getting to know you and just cheer you on, on your journey. I'll never forget. I think it was Dove Awards. When you got up and accepted like the 
your first time maybe award. And I noticed your accent. I was like, I think she's from Louisiana. <laughs> and I was like, I have to meet her. And we have just cheered you on and watched your journey and are so just amazed at what God has done in your life and your faith and the way you're a light in the world. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Hey, Corey, where can we find you? <laughs> Okay, so I'm at Boss Hog's Wife on Instagram, and um, that was from a long time back, <laughs> Boss Hog's Wife on Instagram and Corey Robertson on Facebook. Perfect. And that's about it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Corey. Right. I appreciate Thank it. You. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see y'all Bye. soon. Bye. Okay, yeah. Bye-bye. Dago Bites is an Amazon Music podcast hosted by me, Lauren Daigle, and produced by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. Hey, I'm Lauren Daigle. For more interviews and thought-provoking conversations and to listen to every episode, follow us here exclusively on Amazon Music. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast, American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.